Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development so parents can empower their children to thrive. Today's Brain and Toyland segment is called Effective Positive Child Guidance, and we'll be talking about uh, social, emotional, and communication development in children, um, and we have Dr. In- Ingrid Krautzer with us today, and she is an expert in early childhood and middle years education. So thank you, Dr. Krautzer. Would you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you, Teresa. I'm so pleased to be able to be here to talk to everyone, and this is one of my passions. I'm an educational consultant in the early years and executive director of Lifelong Learn, Inc., My affiliation is with the Dominion Learning Institute of Canada. It's an interesting new development in that we're providing some um, professional development for anyone wanting to interact more positively with young children. My training includes um, elementary teaching certification. I also have my certification in early childhood and my Doctor of Education in the Early Years and Middle Years. I think all of that has helped me to help families and early childhood professionals to improve the quality practices with young children. There's a variety of ways that I've done this in the past, uh, obviously through conference presentations. I also... uh, have done workshops with parents or other professionals or combinations. I have numerous publications, both in in journals and also um, textbooks. And I really like to demonstrate practical hands-on activities with children and families or professionals so they can really question and see what the impact of a quality practice is. Alrighty, and that that really sounds fantastic. And you talked about the practical hands-on activities, and we're going to have some examples for parents, as I understand it. Um, and so we're we're talking about effective positive communication today, in particular. So can you talk to us, maybe give a parent-friendly definition of of what that is? Yes, I certainly. And I, I find it easiest if we break it down. So if we take a look at what does effective mean. Effective really means um, that the child and the adult, both of them, understand what the message is and that whatever they communicate leads to a satisfactory result. Effective also means that you should use relevant language, such as providing description and factual information. A specific example of that You often hear individuals referring to children when they've done something. Oh, you're such a good boy or you're such a good girl. Oh, that was a bad boy. Uh, That would not be an effective means of communicating because the child doesn't understand what is acceptable or not acceptable. They're, They're relating this to themselves rather than to what happened. Uh, Instead, one might say something like, you did a great job of cleaning up your toys. You put them all in the right place. Now you're giving information on what 
the child did that was acceptable. If we move on to positive, positive really means you're using a pleasant voice tone, you're using supportive body language, and you're using positive wording to engage in a dialogue. Using the good and bad example from before, um, we're going to try to look at that more positively. So let's say a child has not cleaned up everything, and which is often the case. You might point out what he did well and then say something like, oh, I think you forgot to put away your toys or your cards, or be very specific. You might also say, I like the way you put away some of the toys that he did put away. Uh, in terms of communication, we have to understand it includes verbalization, body language, listening, and clarifying. So again, the same example as before. Let's say the child has ignored your message of cleaning up totally. What might you do? You might go over to him or her, get down to their level to get eye contact and ask, did you hear what I asked you to do? With a smile. And then follow through with what he or she says to reach a desired outcome. Bottom line, communication should be a pleasant experience for everyone that leads to a good result. Okay, right. And what about some considerations that parents might make so they can establish um, effective positive guidance? Um, all right. Or maybe talk a so, little bit about positive guidance. Yes. Um, so if we want to have positive, effective guidance with children, you have to understand that positive communication is the key to setting the stage. It allows you to build a relationship with your child. It allows you to build trust that they're being listened to and that they're uh, requests are being followed on, and it sets up mutual expectations. Your expectations of how and what you expect of your child and the expectations a child has of you. The second part of that is that you really need to understand uh, what communication is. Often we think of communication just as a verbal language, but it includes the receptive, receptive language listening to children, or it could be reading. There are other forms of receptive language. Expressive language. Expressive language includes, of course, talking, but it also could be singing or writing, drawing, painting, or dancing. We express ourselves in different ways. And body language, action, your actions and your facial expressions. So when you're trying to establish positive guidance with children, you need to think about all of those and not leave one of them out. Uh, the third thing would be to understand that this is a process. I have to listen. That's the first. So I've got a signal that comes in. I have to be able to listen to that signal. That means there has to be an attentiveness of the child or a preparedness to listen. I have to understand what I heard. Then I have to transfer what I heard to my memory. In, quick, in a quick um, overview, it first goes to sensory memory. That means it's, it's, it's there, I've understood it, it stays there for a very, very short time. It's the sort of thing I do when I drive the car and I've seen something and some um, individual cuts in front of me 
and I wanted to save the license plate. Well, I think I'm going to recognize those numbers or memorize those numbers, and of course, <laughs> within a short time, they're gone. For me to put those into working memory, I have to start practicing them. So if it's really important to me, I'll keep repeating that number over and over and over again, and then I might be able to reflect back on it at a later time. But for it to go to long-term memory, it needs a lot of practice. Uh, then I have to have a method of retrieving that information, getting the information back from my memory, and then responding appropriately. So all of those factors figure into um, what you need to consider to, you know, to effectively deal with your children. Right, and and you've you've I've seen in your work you're talking about how communication really is such a key component and um, in all interactions that we have, and we, we want children to listen and respond appropriately um, and learn the rules. So since communication is so important, maybe you can give parents a brief overview of what communication development looks like in children. I'd love to. <laughs> and it's it's interesting that we often think of the process starting when the infant is born or even later in some cases. process actually starts in the womb. The hearing develops between 13 and 16 weeks. And it's interesting that there was a really good article in Time in 1997 by Nash and identifying the, that sound, the sounds that the infant hears or the fetus hears, I mean, it, the heartbeat, the, the continual um, motion of the body organs and outside noises. And these change and shape the brain, carving mental circuits into patterns that will enable the recognition of sounds. That's a direct quote. Um, what does that mean? It means we're wiring the brain of that newborn to recognize certain sounds at a very early, early age. Um, so when the newborn is born, they're already preconditioned to recognize mother's voice, father's voice, voice might recognize music, might recognize some stories that they've heard. Um, I think that the best example I've seen of that is Dr. Hazelton has a video, and they showed the newborn just as the newborn emerged from the mother's womb, and the father uh, makes a sound, and immediately the newborn turns his head towards his father. It was such a powerful um, journey. Receptive language in the first months. There, obviously, the infant is attuned to human voices. Pref preference is around the sound, uh, soothing sound. Um, use of expressive voices such as motherese by the mother or fatherese, I guess, and um, providing sensory experiences that. Uh, changes in tone, in pitch, in volume, um, singing to the so child, you, playing soft yeah, can music. You, can you talk a little bit about what mother ease or father ease is? Um, give parents, um, you, you seem to touch a little bit about, among some of the characteristics of it, but can we give them a clear example or definition? Yes. So when I'm talking to the infant and I, I'm going to use a very low, soothing sound, I'm going to... Um, change my voice tone. I'm going to use short 
words. I'm going to look at the infant and I might say things like, Ooh, I see you're very happy today, Papa. Uh, and fatheries would be similar. So you're, you're watching the infant, watching the face, making sure that that infant sees your eyes and your mouth moving, moving and exaggerating the movements, but keeping the tone very, very low and with great variations in pitch. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I think um, I just like that you brought that up because there has been, in my experience, and now I'm a speech-language pathologist, I found that parents question this mother ease of coming from the mother, father ease coming from the father, that sing-songy, um, sometimes they call it baby talk, and it is actually helpful in these very early oh, very uh, stages of development. As, as children grow, you need to talk um, more in a more sophisticated fashion, but in these early years it really is very helpful helping them focus on the communication process. So if we can move on, receptive language. And in, in terms of receptive language, there's some really powerful new research and that says that uh, the infant begins to understand real words at around six months. I would probably guess it might be even earlier. Um, moving on to expressive language. Expressive language is used by the infant. Uh, the, the, the newborn uses, uses a differential cry, meaning that um, you know, by the way, the child is crying, whether they are uncomfortable or whether they're hungry or whether they need soothing. And, in fact, they've done studies on this, and parents tend to recognize this very, very well. As the infant matures, we start the cooing stage where the cooing sounds occur, putting vowel sounds together like ooh or ah. And that a very important stage that we copy the sounds but also uh, echo them back to the child but also create new patterns for them. That goes into the babbling stage where infants start to put consonants and vowels together. And, of course, it gets really exciting when, when the infant starts to say, mum, 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 mum. And, of course, we immediately accept that as being mother, um, which could well be their first proto-word. A proto-word is that word that we accept as a real word but really isn't a real word yet. Into first words, telegraphic speech where the child says, go up, go down, milk. Um, and this all occurs in the first year, two years of life. Um, and it corresponds to spurts in brain development. What does that mean? It means that there is a neural development in the brain that corresponds to language development. So between 18 months and two years, there's, there's a enormous burst of new neurons being formed. So it's really, really important to provide the children with that communication, language, listening, uh, talking uh, activities. Uh, we can't forget body language, facial expressions, really important for the infant. As the, inf the very young infant watches your eyes and your mouth, why? Because they're very, very, they're the most expressive parts of your face. Um, other parts are the actions we do, and we have many actions that um, indicate certain language behaviors. For example, putting my arms up, meaning I want to go up. 
waving bye-bye, body movements. We can tell how a child feels by the way they move. Infants, when they get excited, may flay their arms and legs. Um, toddlers, in their excitement, start to run and jump up, up and down. And also the activity that they engage in. An example of the body language that's very clear is second language learners, Spanish, English, Spanish children who are learning English. What they did, they split the children in half, and these were, these were three, four-year-olds. And half of the class received language instruction only using uh, verbalization. The other half of the children learned the language by having the body language and ver- verbalizations. It's not hard to guess that the children who had both learned English much more quickly. I think a bottom line is it's really critical for us to acknowledge all of these areas. Learn to recognize your child's signals. Learn to respond to those signals. Reinforce the communication. Sometimes interpret the meaning of what the child is expressing. Voice expectations and reinforce expectations. Okay. I think, I think um, or did you have anything else? No, I think I was leaving. Would you like me to add something? Okay. Well, I was I was just going to recap a little or, and comment on how some of the things you said that I think are really important for parents and that I've experienced across my career is how, um, one, they tend not to understand or realize how early communication really does begin and how varied communication is and that it isn't just talking, that it is um, it's a two-way street, as I like to say, where they're listening um, and expressive where they're talking. And receptive language could be what we hear and what we see or what we read and expressively what we say, what we gesture, or what we write. And you had mentioned the nonverbal communication, all those body movements and facial gestures, um, that there really is so much communication that's happening before words are actually spoken. And I think... If, if parents and all caregivers really tune into that, um, communication can really be more effective. And so I, I'm really glad you brought all those up. Um, but maybe we can talk a little now about what parents can do to improve positive communication with their children. Okay, so I think we, we touched upon uh, re- learning to recognize the signals. So let, let's break that down a little more. So, I mean, Signals are really important in the young infant. Uh, Sometimes we overstimulate the child, and by overstimulating, they become very fussy and hard to soothe. Uh, Some of the signals that you might look for is that if the child's had enough, they will uh, cease to look in your eyes, they will turn their head away, they may start fussing, they may start... Uh, they may become inert. That really clearly gives you a signal. I've had enough. Let's move on. Uh, For older children, it's really important to recognize frustration. Sometimes when we miss the frustration behavior, it leads into some other challenging behavior. I'm frustrated. I don't know how to do this. And so I'm going to react in the only way I know, and that's uh, maybe throw a toy or shout out or voice my frustration in other ways. Um, Learn to recognize the signals. Some children will have facial expressions, a frown on the face, or, you know, 
the hands come up to their heads or their body language gets really, really uh, tight. And that's a really good time for you to interact with your child and say, hmm, I think there's a problem here. Are you having difficulties? Um, That's responding to the signal. You have to verbalize what you see and ask. Always ask, are you correct? Provide help as needed. For example, um, I observed a two-year-old, and he was trying to put a puzzle together. And he had one piece, and it just wouldn't fit. And he's pressing it down. And then he gets up, and his whole body language, and he's staring at the puzzle. So I went over to him, and I said, Tommy, are you having a problem And he looked at me and he nodded and said, let's see, what is your problem? Is your problem that you can't place the piece in the board? He said, not fit. So what could we do to make it fit? So always tossing it back to the child. What other strategies could you use? He he just looked at me and then he tried turning the piece. And eventually it worked. But you're guiding the child through his frustration rather than letting him uh, maybe exhibit some challenging behaviors. And you're helping him problem Um, solve and and think for himself, which is really nice too. I mean, children need to solve their own problems because they need to direct their own behavior rather than you directing directing it for them. Reinforcing reinforcing this is also really important. I might have said, I I did say to him, I said, I'm glad you told me what was frustrating to you. And he just gave me the biggest smile. You're acknowledging their feelings. You need to acknowledge how they feel for them to be able to continue with the task. Um, Interpreting meaning and clarifying uh it's it's an important you have to look at all the cues and you may have to mediate this becomes really important in in uh, young preschoolers often children playing together one child is saying one thing and the other child doesn't understand what is being said you may have to step in and say hmm you seem to have a problem can you tell me what the problem is and then that can work with one between two children or it can be work between you and the child. You're giving the child the opportunity to try to explain to you. And you have to listen very carefully and look at all the cues. Do all the cues match? Does the body language match with what the child is doing and saying? Um, and then really important when you're communicating with the children, you have to voice your expectations. They have to know what you expect. It has to be clear. It has to be very simple. You have to check that the child understands what's being asked, and it has to be consistent. Consistency is overridingly important, especially consistency within partners and situations. Uh, and lastly, always reinforce expectation. Check to see if what is expected is followed, and then remind and praise. Um, for example, um, I remember my own son when he was little, and the I had a clear expectation of him that when he was finished playing, he had to clean up his toys. That was his job, not my job. We. So I told, we had a discussion, and I said, Christopher, 
um, when you have finished playing, what do you have to do? He said, clean up. And then he said, Mom, I know that. He's two and a half at this time. So he had finished playing, and I went over and checked to see if he had cleaned up. Well, at that age, he really liked to clean up. He didn't just clean up. Every toy was in the exact spot that it was supposed to be in. couldn't be moved two inches. So then I said to him, you did a good job of cleaning up. And he just looked at me and smiled. Those are key, key factors in communicating with your children. On the flip yes. side, on the flip side, I've had a child who, and I'm going to refer to this later on too. But um, this is Jimmy, and Jimmy uh, liked to he liked to play with the blocks. He did not like to clean up the blocks. And there was a clear expectation that he cleaned up his box. If you didn't watch him, he would be into another activity uh, and then leave everything from that activity all over the floor, too. So you can imagine what the room would look like if you let this child get away with this behavior. Well, Jimmy had finished with the blocks. The blocks were, um, there was a building situated there, and there were blocks, some blocks on the floor, and he started to get up and leave before. Before he could get very far, I was right beside him. I said to to him, Jimmy, um, tell me what you've built. And he he described what he'd built. And then I said, I took a photograph of it so that we could remember what he had built the next day. And then I asked him, what do we have to do now? He said, clean up. And by his voice tone, you already know that this is not what he wanted to do. So I said, well, how about I help you with it and made a game of the cleanup. Well, it was done very quickly, and he had fun, and I had fun. So again, you can do a positive communication with your child to get to the um, desired result. Right. And a thing um, I also find helpful is it, it is not always fun to clean up, and children want to keep playing, but sometimes you can also um, um, acknowledge that, their feelings. And yes, I know it's it's hard to clean up or you want to keep playing, but, and then as you had mentioned early, give them that rationale for why we need to do things. Um, I've mm-hmm. always found that mm-hmm. very helpful, too. Uh, no, but those were super. Those were great. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about positive guidance interactions and how maybe how positive guidance relates to communication. And I think It's a really hard, well, it's easy in one way, because you can't interact without communicating. So it's a a commonality. Uh, They share verbalizations. They share the tone of verbalizations. They share understanding signals, using words, using language. Um, You can't really do one without the other. And so the important thing is that the... There needs to be a commonality between all of that. The way you say things, the way you express it in in your body language, uh, all need need to jive. Um, It it reminds me of interactions with um, students when when I was teaching in an early childhood program, and we'd have students, and the student was to guide the child's behavior. The student is standing... um, beside the block center, leaning on the shelf, if you can imagine, leaning on the shelf on the elbow, um, 
devoid of any facial expression, looking down at the child and say, time to clean up. Well, <laughs> your, your signals are confusing. It doesn't express to the child that I need to do this. There's no acknowledgement that I'm really talking to one child. There's no communication or interaction between us. Everything needs to jive. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And so maybe we can talk uh, more about strategies that parents can use so they can establish positive guidance um, in their children's behaviors and and in the activities that they do. Okay. Uh, So I think core to all of that is understanding uh, the child's signals. You have to understand what the child's competence is in order to communicate with them. So you're going to communicate quite differently with an infant because you're going to watch for the signals they give. You're going to interpret that signal. For example, um, the infant is raising her hand towards you and looking at you and then looking at a toy that's on the table and the hand opens and shuts. If you're watching that very carefully, I might say, hmm, I think you want the ball on the table, and then watch the expression on the child's face. The child will quickly let you know by a smile or dropping the hand that this is what they want. Then you can respond, here it is, and give them the ball. Um, Communications in the toddler years are easier because they have some language that they can express. However, you still need to know that you can't tell the toddler, go to the kitchen and get me a ball and get me the red ball, but also get the spoon along with it. You're giving too many directions, one direction at a time. Um, Toddlers really like to be helpful, but they need very specific directions. Preschoolers can handle many more directions than a toddler can. Uh, Key You've got to model positive interactions, positive interactions in your voice tone, in your body language, in the words you use. Um, Children will often use the same words um, that you use and model the same things. I remember a two-year-old in in a child care program, and I was observing students there, and she's in the uh, the corner, and she's talking to her doll, and her dialogue is, How many times have I told you that you can't throw your food around? Tells you exactly what is going on in that environment. They will model what they hear. So we have to be very careful that we model those positive interactions. But also remembering we are human and sometimes these things creep in as long as it isn't consistent. Um, Thirdly, stating clear expectations. You have to get down to the child's level. They have to be simple and positive. This is what I'd like you to do and state it only once. One of the biggest problems is that we have an expectation and then we say it over and over and over again. Remember sitting on a plane. We were going to Europe, so it was a long flight, and there was a mother with three children. I think I heard her say at least ten times, if you don't put the toy down, I'm going to take it away from you. And finally, by the tenth time, she was really angry, and she just grabbed the toy, and we, the child screamed. Um, what did that child learn? I don't have to listen the first time. I don't have to listen the second time. 
you want your child to listen the first time. So don't keep repeating yourself. And along with that, it has to be consistent. Whatever your expectation is, it has to be consistent with your partner, and it has to be consistent every time. So we can't allow the child to do something one time and then not another time. It has to be the same thing all the time. Um, very important that if the child has done as as you have wanted them to do, you have to reinforce that expectation. You've done a good job of cleaning up. And really important is the last point, um, know when to negotiate. We negotiate with children all the time. Um, you know, bedtime. I want to stay up half an hour longer. That can only be a negotiation if you agree to it. Negotiate only those things that are agreeable and safe for the child. The other ones just simply can't be negotiated. This is the way it is, and no argument. Those are the key strategies. Right, right, and I think they're a good one. Um, And I really like the idea of stating something once, and if you mean no, then act on it. Uh, You could always follow up, um, giving them other options, but I I do find that to be a problem where kids learn that they don't need to respond on that first time or you might not really mean it because there are no consequences. That's right. Okay. So um, since we want to prevent um, the challenging behaviors from children, um, are there things that you can talk about um, in regard to that? Well, I think the first thing, the most important thing is you have to observe the children. Um, you need to try to prevent the negative or the challenging behavior from occurring before it starts. For example, the child has a stone in his or her hand and the arm is raised. You know exactly what's going to happen. That stone's going to fly. If you see the child in that motion. If you're close enough, you can prevent that action from happening by simply uh, taking a hold of the hand and looking at the child and smiling and saying, let's put the stone in the bucket or whatever you have, giving him, a clue, him or her a clue into appropriate behavior. Of course, if you're standing at the water where you can throw stones, that's perfectly acceptable. But observe and try to prevent it before it becomes a challenging behavior. That also means um, uh, in a recent episode, a a young uh, six-year-old has not been allowed to play with with her sister's iPad. Um, The iPad was left where the child could access it. So no one was there to observe her, so what did she do? She used the iPad. Now she's being punished because she was using something she wasn't allowed to use. She does own part of the blame. A six-year-old probably will remember that they shouldn't use this. But the other part of the blame belongs to the adults who left the iPad where it was uh, a temptation to the child. You know, we, we want to make um, the behavior, re- the, the expectation of the behavior more realistic. Second thing is really active listening. 
this means that you're listening with an open mind. That's really hard to do if you're involved in an argument. So we don't want to get into that argument to start with. We want to listen to the intent of the message. Then clarify. Clarify. What is this what you told me? So, and then the child can respond yes or no. This gives everyone uh, a chance to just listen to each other and really think about that, yes, this is what I wanted to do, or no, it isn't. You didn't understand me. I really meant this. Um, and then as you're listening, you have to li- look at all the communication signals. You know, um, is the body language in sync with what the child is expressing. Once we've clarified this, it gives you an avenue to talk about uh, what is happening without getting into an argument. And again, I can't state that off enough. State your expectation only once. If, if the child hasn't listened, I'll get down on the floor beside him or her and say, do you remember what I asked? Do you remember what you were to do? and then wait for this child to respond. Sometimes they get so engaged in what they're doing that they're actually not listening to you because all their intent is on the activity at hand. So they, they may not have heard you at all. It's not that they are not listening. It's that they're so involved in what they're doing. So you need to get into their space and indicate to them. Sometimes that it might be very simple. I... I haven't finished this. I really want to finish it. And I can understand that frustration. And you might be able to then say, all right, we can leave it out. And when we have had our lunch, if it was lunchtime, you can come back and finish it. But listen, clarify, and um, negotiate the terms if they're negotiable. Um, And, again, be consistent. Uh, You know, um, you know the child, mom, I don't want to go to bed yet. I want half an hour. Dad's watching TV. Go to Dad and ask, Dad, can I watch TV with you? And Dad says, yes. Well, you've lost the battle. So be consistent right. between each other and from time to time. Um, and right. so again, setting I think firm boundaries. <laughs> setting firm oh, boundaries. Yes. And, those, and those firm boundaries include knowing when you can negotiate and when not to. I mean, you're not going to negotiate a child running across the street. Well, set those clear boundaries in all the routines at home. Some things, are they just have to be done. There's no negotiation about it. Negotiate those things um, that make sense and that are meaningful to both of you. And right. then lastly, if you get into an argument, you've lost. So avoid the argument before you allow that escalation. An argument, once you're in an argument, everything escalates. It gets louder. It gets noisier. You don't listen to each other. You get frustrated. In these situations, you as the adult are the key. You need to develop a strategy where you step away and say, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to come. We will talk about this in a few minutes. Go away, calm yourself, and then talk more calmly to your child. Uh, okay, so it, it, um, it's a no so, win situation. Right. So if you get to that argument space, a good strategy you're saying is to say, we're not going to argue about this. We're not going to talk about this right now. We'll bring this up again in five minutes when we're calm. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay, super. Great. And it 
And in terms of that, I, I think we had, um, you know, we use timeout a lot. Um, timeout is not a strategy that works um, super well unless timeout includes things that the child can do to calm down. For example, um, I've observed a timeout where the child was throwing things in, in a classroom, and obviously that's not acceptable. So the child was forced to sit on a chair um, isolated from the other children. Well, he had nothing to do, so what did he do? He started rocking the chair back and forth, and then he started using swear words, and then he started shouting. There was no strategy for him to calm himself down in, in a more reasonable manner. Better strategy might have been to go to the quiet area uh, and whatever keys help the child to calm down. Things like reading a book or reading a book to the child or maybe um, uh, going using Play-Doh and pounding the Play-Doh to get the frustrations out. Each child has different ways that they can calm themselves as we do. But children need to have strategies that allow them to calm down too. And it can't be that you suddenly isolate them from everything because then they're going to think of other challenging things to do. Does that make sense? Right. So um, that kind of touches upon the topic of maybe positive activities um, that we might suggest. So what types of activities can caregivers um, do or have their children engage in and um, how can they encourage that? And maybe even what types of toys they might use. Uh, let's let's talk about that. Okay, so the key to um, learning in the early years is through play. That's the best way children learn. Um, we call it active play. Active play means that the play involves the child using all their senses: smell, touch, sight. Um, you know, ev- everything. Uh, if possible. Smell is a harder one to deal with in toys, but certainly manipulating, looking at them, testing them, seeing, experimenting. Um, It also includes providing realistic choices so that children can make their own choices as to what to play with. Uh, Using materials and toys and experiences that are at the child's level and skill of understanding so, I mean, if I have a puzzle, I'm not going to get a 14-piece puzzle to an infant. Neither am I going to give um, a peg puzzle to a preschooler. Either one is inappropriate. It doesn't match that child's skill and understanding. Um, so let's, let's do some examples through the spectrum of ages. So if I look at the infant years, infant years are profoundly influenced by grasping things, manipulating them, trying them out, putting them in my mouth, putting them down. So I need to give that infant toys that allow them to easily grasp, uh, twist, turn, hold, touch, touch in different ways so I can learn about the objects around me. Toddler years are really profound in filling things and dumping them out, building them up and knocking them down. So they need lots of opportunities to do that. And the preschool years often are very much engaged in role, role play and constructing activities. So given that background, let's take a look at what choices of toys and materials you might provide. Uh, some key concepts. 
what you want to provide is some a toy that will sustain the activity. So it's more than a two-minute task. So you want the child to be occupied for longer periods of time. It has to be based on something the child is interested in at that time. It should be something that helps develop their skills and their attitudes and exhibits positive behaviors. So respect, such as respecting um, uh, the materials that we have. So if I take the infant, let's give an example. They grasp and manipulate. We often give infants rattlers. Well, when the first rattlers, if you look at the rattlers, often they're very hard, um, solid pieces of equipment. So the infant is using the rattle to shake it. If you can imagine the hand going up and down and hearing hearing the sound. But they're their ability to handle and wave this rattle around at a young age is dependent on a whole arm movement. And often what happens is that they will hit themselves on the head. That hurts. You've had a negative experience. That's really not a good toy for the infant. You want something that certainly makes a noise, certainly is easy to grasp. So choose some things that are softer, that don't injure, that are safe to put in the mouth. What are some of those things? Um, Sometimes they're easy things that you can even find within your own home, but um, soft um, covered material balls that I can't chew through, Um, stuffed, sometimes the stuffed animals, small stuffed animals. Um, When I'm looking at the crib, I'm going to be lying in the crib and looking at my toys. So the crib toys that you have, be careful that you get crib toys that the child can actually see. Often crib toys, you can see the feet, but you can't see the whole animal because I'm lying on my back looking up and I can't really recognize it. Uh, making sure that as the child is ready to grasp things, you've got an interactive mobile that I can actually touch and pull or turn or twist. All right, um, if I'm looking at the toddler years, they're <laughs> often toddlers really like the things we have around the house. They, we're talking about filling and dumping um, pots and pans and putting things in those pots and pans and taking them out are as much fun as buying a, a bucket to do the same thing with. Um, really good activities for toddlers are also to have blocks because they're expandable. I can build towers, I can knock them down. I can use the same blocks to put into something and pour the, and dump them out. I can go outside with a toddler and fill a bucket with sand and dump it out. There are a lot of these kinds of activities that are really good for toddlers. Preschoolers in their role play, um, providing opportunities, the ideal opportunities to help in the kitchen. They love to help. Uh, in cooking, they love to have uh, their own apron, their own hat, uh, maybe some of their own cleaning utensils, giving them responsibility to clean up a small area within in their playroom, having um, a doll that has clothes to dress up in that can has a baby bath that that you can bathe the doll in that has a crib that you can put the 
install with a nightgown and blankets and pillows in the crib, having a stroller that you can get the, ch- the, the doll dressed to go outside for a walk. Those are really nice activities and that are also very expandable. Teach the children about what is happening in their world and expand their knowledge. Um, so to recapitulate, toys and experience you should offer Make sure that whatever you're offering can be expanded. So if, you're, if for example, blocks, I can add more blocks when the child is ready. Um, encourage a variety types of play. There are some things that I want to do alone, but I should also be able to do those with others. So, I mean, in terms of reading tends to be an activity that I might want to do alone, but it might be an activity where I read the book to the child or the child to me, and enhance learning in all areas so that I can talk about it, I can learn about it, I can manipulate it, and I can interact with it, and I can establish some feelings about what I'm doing. Okay. Um, and, of course, I think you've said also in the past and um, in things I've read about your work that it should cover all areas, too. I think you've said communication, um, cognition or intellectual development, physical activities, and social and emotional um, uh, areas as well. You're right, quite right, and I think that's where the adult's role is really important, um, the communicative aspect has to be there from you with an infant. You have to talk about what the child is doing. That's how the child learns language. Similar with a toddler. I think in, in terms of the preschooler, they you can reverse that. You can ask them to communicate what they've been doing. And along with that communication, you can develop, um, you can scribe for them. You can write down the things that they've, uh, they've said. So you can create little stories with them. Uh, so, yeah, and the emotional is really important to help them understand their feelings. Um, children are not very good at understanding how they feel, especially as an infant and maybe as a toddler. So verbalizing, giving them a clue about what they're feeling, and that it's okay to feel like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an important thing, provide them the vocabulary they might not have to describe the feeling they have and letting them know that whatever they're feeling is okay, any feeling is okay. Doing any action is another story, (laughs) but any feeling. Exactly. um, (laughs) Right. So you've been doing this a very long time. Um, What do you find across your career are the most common questions, um, you know, the biggest question parents have? The first one, um, it goes back to toys. I think we've talked about what are good toys for different areas of development. That's a really common question. Um, another one, obvious, it's rather obvious, how do I get my kid to listen to me? I get that a lot. Uh, along with that, how do we encourage children to be responsible for cleaning up their messes? Um, how do I handle a temper tantrum? And one that's... Um, uh, uh, probably rising in, in popularity is how do I ignore unwelcome advice, especially from relatives? I've had lots of questions. My mother-in-law keeps telling me I should be doing this. I'm spoiling my child. Right. So Now, um, 
it sounds like those first questions about what um, what toys are good for different development and how do we encourage children to listen, clean up messes, and how we handle tantrums. Would you say what you've spoken about so far would cover those? Yeah, but or is there in, something in, you in could elaborate any, on? Each one of them could probably carry on for forty minutes of another show. But right. um, <laughs> I think <laughs> it, they're all specific, and yes, we have covered some of those points. But you okay, know, just, that, that, just to recapitulate, mm-hmm. just to recapitulate, uh, good toys are toys that meet the children's interest and their developmental level. So you. It requires you to know that much about your child. Listening, you have to model good listening habits. It's not going to happen unless you model it. And it's the whole communication process that we talked about. Encouraging children to mess, it's an ex- uh, clean up their mess, it's, it's an expectation. And it's also children need to know where to put things. So, for example, if I put everything in a box, that encourages dumping. So you're automatically going to have a mess. So it's got to be organized in such a way that, A, the child knows where it belongs, and, B, the child can find it quickly when they wish to find it. Temper tantrums, it's setting expectations, and, I, I you know, we really need to get into that uh, a lot more in order to know how to handle those. And the last one, unwelcome advice, that's a hard one, too. Yeah. Um, do you have a quick um, response a parent might use? And Because um, as you said, each of these points could be a show in and of itself, and we don't have that much time today. But what's one good piece of advice you could give to a parent who receives unwelcomed advice from a relative? I, and my strategy is always to say um, thank you very much, uh, but my husband and I prefer to do it this way. And... Right. <laughs> don't don't get into an argument. Same yeah. thing. Is this is yeah. this is our child. You don't quite say that. You're very polite about it, but this is the way we're going to handle it. Yeah, something it's, it's, I appreciate your concern. I understand your concern or thank you for your concern, right. but yeah. This is yeah. how we're doing it. Okay. But yeah, uh, that those all that's would be easy. <laughs> yeah. And so, it's again um, positive. Yes, and positive. And, um, again, like you said, there's a lot that could be answered there, and we can think about that for future shows. And we always invite everyone to send questions and comments in, um, which they can send to info at kidsa-to-z.com. And, again, that's kidsa-to-z.com. You can send in questions and topics, suggestions that we'll go to. But these are good ones, I think, that we could look at another time. So um, how about a quick um, a quick um I guess, answer to what parents are often surprised to learn about regarding effective positive guidance. What surprises them? I think about that's that the one, the most powerful. Sorry, <laughs> I think the most powerful one for me is that parents are often so surprised that they don't need to punish their child in order for the child to learn to behave appropriately. That that's a big one. That always surprises me. Also, uh, and then. Uh, uh, for example, I've had one one parent say, "You know, I've tried everything, and then I tried these sta- these seven steps that you referred to, and they really worked. And I was so sure that they wouldn't, and they did. And it, 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 the excitement that that caused, um, and 
the excitement uh, of a parent who, or parents who say, who are excited that they can remain in control over their child's behavior rather than the child controlling their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, I'm on the right track, even though one of my relatives has told me otherwise. So establishing that self-confidence to know that, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Because, you know, we get so much advice from everyone. It's hard to maintain your, your own equilibrium, but know when you're right. Know that you're on the right track. And I think that, that, that's a common one, too. Okay, great. So we, we always like to end the show with our guests talking about what they really think is important for families to know, and we call it our five fabulous facts for families. So would you tell us what your favorite advice is for families? Yes. First one, prenatally, talk and read to your child, both uh, whoever is in the house. The child learns to listen to your voices, and when you talk and read to your child, it sets the pattern for after birth because you're settling down, you're relaxing, you're finding that space, and you're already nurturing the newcomer to your family. Uh, From zero to six, really, really important to attend to the signals that that infant gives you as soon as possible. Uh, Just remember, you cannot spoil your child. The infant doesn't manipulate. They just know, this is the way I feel. And if you want to have a good relationship with that child, if you want that child to trust you, you need to listen and respond to those signals. Between 12 months to two years, child-proof your house to give your child lots of opportunities to do things by themselves. It's the I-can-do-it years. They want to do this, and they'll get into everything. So make sure that what they get into is a safe thing to get into. Three to four years, establish negotiation patterns. Children need to know. They need to have some control in what they have control over. So give them opportunities to negotiate. You know, at mealtime, you can have a choice of this, this, or this. Make sure that the child really likes this, this, or this, or (laughs) that you're not giving them a choice that is not something that they would choose. Uh, And clearly discuss with them that they know what they can negotiate and what they cannot. So it's a two-way street here. Five-year-olds, you really need to look at encouraging independence. I mean, pretty soon they're off to school by themselves, whether by school bus or walking to school. You need to help your child to begin to set their own guidelines for their own behavior and for their own routines. Okay, those are fantastic. Um, one of the ways we also want to end the show or like to end the show is to remind our viewers um, about what our guests are doing in terms of websites or blogs or books. And we have on the Blog Talk Radio website for the show, we have your website and your blog. Um, and we'll be putting that on the kidsadaz.com website also so guests and um, audience members can listen in and download um, the show there. Um, You want to tell us something quick maybe about your blog or your website that listeners might want to know as we start to sign off? 
Um, well, the Lifelong Learn website is under revision, so at this point you can't order any of the books, but if you wanted any of those, you could email me directly. My email is on that site. The iLearner is an interesting one. I'm I'm in process of developing regular newsletters that go out to parents and early childhood educators, and <laughs> serendipitously, the first one is Seven Proven Strategies for child, Positive Child Guidance. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you will get those free, and you would have opportunities to um, ask for a variety of different topics that we might post in the newsletters. Okay, great. I actually just wrote a note to myself to sign up for that myself. Because <laughs> this is really <laughs> wonderful. This, <laughs> this is really wonderful. Great information. Um, and um, I think I'm even going to have my students um, who we I teach at Marymount Manhattan College, uh, and they're studying to be speech-language pathologists and audiologists. And that's some, how they communicate with children in a positive way, in an effective way, and, and um ways to get the children to do things that you want them to do instead of what they want to do. I think there's a lot of good information here, so I may assign this <laughs> as a, a listening uh, for my students in class. Um, so thank you, thank you, and I encourage parents to look at what you have done on Lifelong Learn and iLearner and, and your books. And then, so finally, thank you, everyone, for listening in. And again, if you ever have questions you'd like us to answer on the show or suggestions for topics, you can send that to info at kidsatoz.com. And you could always, uh, what else? You could go to kidsatoz.com and download the show and listen to the show. We have a smart toy store there. And again, thank you. This is Teresa Signorelli for Kids A to Z with Dr. T. Thanks so much uh, for listening. Bye now. <laughs>